So if you were with us last week, you heard that Pastor Brandon spent his first sermon as our senior pastor giving us this vision and this mission for our church. And then he gave us a challenge, and I hope you took that challenge seriously. If you forgot it, I'm going to remind you. The challenge was that every member of this church and every member of a small group would commit this mission and this vision that we have to memory. How are you doing? We can practice this morning. We've got the vision and the mission up for us on the screen. Let's go ahead and start with the vision. I'll say it first, and then we'll say it together. Here it is. God's vision for Together Church. We will develop people who radically impact the world for Jesus Christ. Let's say it together. Here it is. We We will will develop develop people who will radically radically impact impact the world world for Jesus Christ. Christ. Now let's see this mission. Let's see the mission up next. Here's God's mission for Together Church. We will create relational environments where disciples of Jesus are made. Let's say it together. Here we go. We We will will create create relational relational environments environments where disciples disciples of Jesus Jesus are made. Last week, Brandon gave us an illustration from the Old Testament speaking about Moses when Moses was in front of the bush and God was giving him the call to go free the Israelites from Egyptian oppression. This example was used to show us the difference between a vision, which is the God-sized goal that we cannot achieve, and the mission, which is the actionable step that God calls us to to bring about the vision. For Moses, the vision was, I am going to free my people from from Egyptian oppression, and I am going to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey, and I will be their God. The mission was, Go to Egypt and say what I tell you to say and do what I tell you to do. That's something we can do. If my wife, Alex, comes to me and says, I need you to have a hard conversation with my dad, immediately, I peace out. That relationship is challenging. That relationship is difficult. But if my wife says to me, this is how I want you to go about it. I want you to say these things. I want you to say them in a way that is right for you, but this is the message I want to communicate. Then I begin going, okay, I can do that. There are other examples that we have of vision and mission, but this one is the one that we're committed to. Can you see how our vision is God-sized? How our vision is God-sized? Let's go back to that so we can look at it one more time. Our vision, we will develop people who radically impact the world for Jesus Christ. I'm not equipped to develop anyone to impact anywhere for Jesus Christ, right? All I can do is the actionable steps that God has given me, which is our vision, our, our, excuse me, our mission that we agree on. Let's see this mission here. We will create relational environments where disciples of Jesus are made. Today we have lessons for you and illustrations about how our church is working together to create these relational environments where disciples of Jesus are made. Pastor Brandon's going to guide us through some of this. All right. Thank you, Pastor Seth, and good morning. Welcome to Together Church and to our bash. Did you grab your guide? Would you get it real quick? And if someone needs one, we have a few extra right here, so you can put your hand up, and we'll bring you a guide. So, Jordan, if you'd help us with that. Anyone need a copy of this? There we go. Team, let's go ahead and put that mission back on the screen. 
So this is what we're going to focus on in the service together at the church bash. We're going to be focusing on God's mission for Together Church. Pastor Seth just did a great job. If you open your guide on page two, the introduction for the vision and mission is right there. And so you have it in writing. You can go back and look at it. I would encourage you, church family, put this to memory. God's vision and God's mission for Together Church. Why put it to memory? Because if we don't have it in our heads, God can't move it to our heart and then move it to our hands. And so we got to get it in our heads first. What is it, God? What have you said to us? What is your vision? And what is your mission? The vision, God's size, bigger than we are, can't get it done on our own. The mission, marching orders. Put your hand to the plow. Moses, pick up that rod. Moses, go tell Pharaoh what I told you to say. Go do what I tell you to do. That's the difference. And so for us, God, here's your vision for us. Bigger than we are, here's your mission. We can do that. We can work on that together. And this morning at the bash, we're going to begin to narrow our focus into the mission that God has given us at Together Church. Because we believe that as we work as a team to carry out the mission, that God will fulfill his vision for our church. The mission is how we align ourselves with what God is doing. It's how we align ourselves with God's vision. So go to the next page, to page three. Definitions matter. I can say something, and as soon as I say it, I am meaning one thing, but very easily you could be hearing something else. How many of you are married? Have you ever had that problem in your marriage where you say one thing and you mean something and then the other person hears something else and you said the same word, but the way that it was understood is very different than the way that it was meant. Well, that's the same thing with the mission that God has given us. If we don't define terms, then I might be saying one thing and you might be hearing another thing. And so we need to define important terms. At the top of page three, We repeat the mission as we look at how does Together Church define a disciple of Jesus? If our mission is to create relational environments where disciples are made, then disciple is a critical term. We have to agree on the definition of a disciple. If we don't agree on that definition, then we're not in alignment on the mission that God has given us. So we're going to define it right now. There's more that you could get into on this, and I'm not going to say that this is an exhaustive definition of everything the Word of God has to say about what it is to be a disciple, but I will say this. Beginnings matter, and where we pull our definition from are the first words that Jesus spoke as he was calling his first disciples to come and follow him and to come and be his disciple. So we're going to lean on the example of Jesus. We're going to press into the words of Jesus as we define the call of Jesus on Together Church. So what is a disciple? We're going to pull our definition from his words in Matthew 419. You have it right here. Jesus said, read it with me, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So there's key aspects of what it means to be a disciple. You know, sometimes it would be easy for us to say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. You may not even know what you mean when you say that. Sometimes it's easy to ask the question, am I even a disciple of Jesus? I don't know. 
What does it mean to be a disciple? We've got to define it. So looking at the words of Jesus, how do we at Together Church define a disciple of Jesus? Well, there's three aspects. You can see them. One, two, three. We see three parts in the words of Jesus. First, follow me. Jesus said, follow me. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is following Jesus. What do I mean by following him? I mean that he's king, church. I mean that he's Lord. I mean, you're no longer the boss of your own life. You're no longer the one calling the shots. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is following Jesus. They're looking at the way that they were going, and they're looking at the way that Jesus is going, and if they're not going the same way Jesus is going, they're saying, then I'm going to adjust my course and go his way. My life belongs to him. A disciple of Jesus is someone who recognizes the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he is King Jesus, King of heaven and earth. Follow me. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is following Jesus. And then Jesus said, and I will make you. That's the second part that we see in what Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19. I will make you. Do you hear the work of God in those words? It's not you will become, it's I will make you. Jesus is going to enact a change in your life. Something is going to be different on the inside. You make the decision to follow him and he's going to change your heart. He's going to make you a different person. You're not going to be who you were before. What you used to be is going to be changed. I mean, first, uh, first, or 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus makes us new. We become different. You know, when I'm talking to someone who's been working out the gospel and they're trying to figure this out in their life and maybe they're not sure and they're asking a lot of questions about salvation, you know when I start to have a confidence that they got it? Whenever they start to talk about things like, none of this can be a coincidence. God is just lining things up. I feel like he's talking to me personally. I feel like he's trying to move me in a certain direction. You know, I don't feel like I have all the answers, but there's something different inside. Like my desires are changing. What I want is different. I couldn't have done what I'm trying to do now a few weeks ago because it wasn't who I was, but now I'm different. When I start to hear someone use any kind of language about a change on the inside, I start to go, hey, God's working in that person. God's moving that person's heart. I believe that they're understanding the lordship of Jesus where he is king and they follow him and it starts to produce this change in their heart. The last part of the definition, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is on mission with Jesus. They are. Like if God, if you decide to follow him and he changes you, it will produce in your life fruit that looks like Christ. It will produce in your life Jesus. He will come out of you. His love will be in you and will overflow through what you do. They get on mission. They believe their purpose is bigger than anything that they've ever thought for themselves before. That their purpose is tied to God's purpose. And what they want is for God's vision and God's mission to be fulfilled in their life. And so they join him. They commit themselves to it. And you see it in people. I mean, you can think in your life, have you ever had a relationship with somebody that you consider to be someone who is rock solid in their faith? 
Well, what are some of the characteristics about that person? One of the things that you're going to see in them is their commitment to be on mission for Jesus. They've probably served you in some way. They've probably gone out of their way to love you in some way. They may have met you in the middle of a crisis at some point. They understand that their life is bigger than just about them. And they're on mission with Jesus. So these are the three aspects of the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 4.19. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Our definition of a disciple then is right there in bold, right below. A disciple is someone following Jesus being changed by Jesus, and on mission for Jesus. So you want to know, am I a disciple? You want to know, what does it mean for me to be a disciple? You want to know, what is it like to make a disciple? This is the definition based on the words of Jesus where we're leading people. And I encourage you today, I know that there's some who are wrestling with their salvation, that there's some people who are seeking God. Maybe you read this definition and you go, oh, I'm not sure I am a disciple of Jesus, but I want to be. I would encourage you not to leave here today without being transparent about that. And at the end of the service, there's actually going to be a time for some small group discussion. That's how we're going to end the service today. The church bash looks a little different than the rest of the services we do throughout the year. You'll have a time to interact with some people in a small group. And if God is pricking your heart about the definition of a disciple and your own alignment with that definition, I'd encourage you to speak up and to share, I'm not sure I'm a disciple, but I want to be. And there are other mature Christians here who will help guide you in that process of what it looks like for you to be a disciple of Jesus. God's mission. We will create relational environments where disciples of Jesus are made. There's one more term we need to define, and that is relational environments. And we got some people moving right now. What are they doing? Well, they're coming here to get this furniture and move it on the platform because they're going to help us create a relational environment in the auditorium this morning. Okay? You've got some key characteristics of a relational environment here on this sheet. Our mission that God has given us is to create relational environments— where disciples of Jesus are made. Look at this for me real quick. Check out the bullet points on page four. Look at the characteristics of a relational environment. And then I want to ask you this question. Which of those three stand out to you the most? Which of the three on that sheet stand out to you personally about characteristics of a relational environment? You know, for me personally... Transparency is a huge one. As far as a relational environment is concerned for me, I did not share transparency with anyone else in my life until I was 27 years old. Not full transparency. You know, there were things I would share and problems. I would confess some sin. But as far as letting someone else into my life where I was totally honest with them, and they were totally honest with me. It didn't happen until my mid-20s. And I tell you what, I suffered for it. My family suffered for it. It is not good for man to be alone. Isolation is not healthy. And sadly, what is the kind of environment that we normally create in the church, in the structure that we've used over the last 50 years? Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm fine. How was your week? Great. How was your weekend? Really good. See you next Sunday. See you next Sunday. 
Is that familiar? Have you ever encountered that in a church before? You know, what we have to do in order to make disciples like Jesus did is we have to look and say, look at what he did. He created a relational environment where disciples of Jesus can be made. And he invited the guys into relationship, authenticity, transparency. So that one stands out to me. I don't know which one stands out to you the most, but I would encourage you to think about that because what we're going to do now this morning is we're going to create a relational environment the best we can in this room for you to witness. In fact, I've got a team, uh, a small group team that's going to help us out this morning. I'm going to ask you guys to begin to come forward at this time and find your seat up here. And as they come this way, um, we need to make some acknowledgments here. We want to model a relational environment the best we can, and there's some things that we can do well for that. For example, we can bring a couch up onto the platform because that's a little more cozy. We can get some lamps up here. We can create the stage and, and kind of set up the space. You know, our small group leaders do a great job of that. They create a space in their homes where there can be a relational environment. But what we can't reproduce this morning is what it would look like to step into the home of a small group leader and to be welcomed by that group leader and to share conversation with other people in that group. We can't recreate that for you uh, here in the auditorium. I'd encourage you to go to a group and have that. One other thing that we need to just acknowledge this morning that we can't reproduce perfectly in this setting is the kind of transparency that can go, how deep it can go in group. Now, I've, I've asked these team members to be transparent this morning, and I believe we will be, but this is being live-streamed, right? And so we have some limitations here. Whatever they share here is not going to be kept in confidentiality. In our small groups, you'll hear us cover the guidelines. One of them is confidentiality. What's said in the group stays in the group. And so they're going to share as transparently as they can, and we're going to show you what it looks like to fulfill this mission of creating relational environments where disciples of Jesus are made the best we can in this setting. But I would encourage you, use this as a springboard. Use this as a platform to get more involved and to press into some relational environments and small groups and to see for yourself what it's like to be part of a team like this. So you have this as a resource. Hang on to that. And we're going to jump into our time this morning. So good morning, team. Good morning. Good morning. Great to be with you guys this morning. And we're just going to start with a little bit of introduction, let everyone get to know us a little better. So why don't we start down here? Bennett, if you don't know, he's our newest deacon at Together <laughs> yeah, Church. Bennett. So welcome, Bennett, yeah. right? Thank you, Bennett. And his wife, Chelsea. So go ahead. Let's start some introductions. Hello, everybody. I'm Bennett, as said. Um, we are part of Britt Lawrence Group. We're their apprentices and absolutely love it. And Air Force. <laughs> yes. Likewise, I am Chelsea. I belong to that guy. And we go to Britt and Lawrence Group. We are really blessed and we've grown and we're almost ready to branch, which is a blessing and a bit of a sadness. But, uh, and we just really have been, really been blessed with the transparency in that group and how we were able to develop deep relationships quickly through it. Yeah, that's great. And you know, Chelsea just mentioned branching. If you're new to our church, every group raises up an apprentice and the apprentice works to reproduce the, cre uh, the relational environment so, because that's the mission, right? Create relational environments. And so in order to do that, you gotta have new leaders and Bennett and Chelsea are very close to branching that group and Britt and Lauren's group uh, multiplying, so we're excited about that. All right. Good morning, good morning. Can y'all hear me? Yes. 
A little better? All right, sweet, sweet. Good morning, my name is Marissa McLean. I am a part of Justin and Taylor's group. They're a really sweet, really intentional bunch, and I love being with them. And then I also help serve with Becca Ruckel with her group of, of teenage girls. You know, I'm Jerry Wells, and my wife Sondra and I have had a group for many years in Edmond, and we have a lot of our group members here uh, this morning. I'm glad they've come to be a part of us. You know, our, our group, has sort of developed into a place where we have really walked through a lot of deep waters with each other and uh, all of us are probably for the most part besides Ryan age 50 and older and we have children and they're now adult children and it's amazing how much pain you go through with adult children uh, and that you really don't want to go through that alone and so we've shared a lot together in this journey and uh, really appreciate our group. I'm Doug Miller. I've spent most of my adult life in Norman. One of my adult children is with me today, Braden. Raise your hand up, Braden. <laughs> and uh, I've been attending uh, Jerry and Sandra's small group for a, since about 2015. And I'm Pastor Brandon Warner, and my wife Rachel and I, we have a small group that meets in our home, and we have uh, six kids right now, three that are ours and three that are with us through safety monitor plan for DHS and uh, we're learning a lot and what we really need is a place to be transparent about the things that we're facing and our group is wonderful. I, I, when the kids moved in, this is Jeremy and Kim right here, you guys, yep, they are our apprentices. They were there at our house when the kids came for the first time and just helped us welcome those kids and have served us in many ways, as have many of the members of our group. So it's been pretty incredible to have that kind of community um, in every season, but especially in this recent one. So there's our introductions right there. And uh, our job today is to show you a relational environment. And guys, we have something that helps us create a relational environment in every group meeting. What are those? Guidelines. The guidelines for group meeting. And the guidelines are really our agreement that we make together um, th at the start of every group. Group is very inclusive. It's a very welcoming place for anyone to come. But in order to be a part of group, we agree on these guidelines and we hold each other to these guidelines so that we can create a relational environment. So would you guys help me? Let's just recall the guidelines from memory. You guys are veterans in group. So let's recall the guidelines from memory and then briefly explain whatever guideline you share. Yeah, I guess I'll go first. Use humor responsibly. Uh, <laughs> that's a fun one. Um, you don't want to crack a joke that will dis diminish from your relationship with someone else. Uh, take away from the love aspect of it and the openness, the transparency. Good. Confidentiality, Brandon already mentioned that. And we just make a pledge to each other, whatever's shared in group should stay in group. No fixing. This one's my favorite. It means that if I share something that you've also been through, you can't be there in group and say, oh, I've been through that. Let me give you some, some suggestions. But after group, you can say, excuse me, I wanted to share something on that. Is that okay? And if I say yes, you can share it. But if I say no, you say, okay, and walk away. Silence is golden. By that, I mean awkward silence sometimes in a group. Our tendency is to want to say something just so that we're not sitting there. But, but, but actually, that's a very good time to reflect, and so you've got to resist the urge and just let there be awkward silence. 
no crosstalk. That means that whoever's speaking is who the focus on and they are the only ones speaking. We're not having a side conversation over here, no conversations on here, <laughs> just the one conversation mm -hmm. is where the focus is. Very relational that way. Yes. No one person dominates the group. We say in our group too, no two people, no ping-ponging to forth. dominate the group, mm -hmm. share the air, give everyone else a chance to share their hearts and share what God's putting on their hearts. No rescuing. So if I'm feeling big feelings, as we all do, please don't come and say, oh, it's okay, or offer me a tissue. Let me feel completely. I want to feel all that I have to say, all that I have to feel, and then when I'm completely finished, then you can offer me a tissue or put a hand on my shoulder. But that one also goes with the pause, that you just let someone speak and then let there be a rest, a little bit of a break, to know that they're fully finished and people are able to process their thoughts. I statements. It's not all about everyone else. It's about me. And I need to keep that relationship personal as I talk about myself to you. I have a problem with or I need to work on. Not the church needs to work on. Mm. Therefore, the church is the problem. In our prep meeting, Pastor Jerry, you shared something that I thought was really important about why we have that I statement. Yeah, the importance of that is that we're not here to preach or teach one another. Right. We are here to share from the story that we're meditating on what God is personally saying to us. Yeah. And that's relational. Yes, it is. Preaching is not very relational. I've been doing it for 38 years. It's not very relational right. at all. And so we want the groups to be relational. Yeah. Any others here? Mm hmm be self-aware. Yeah. And that is pretty much body language. So we don't want to give off, I don't want to give off like this. an atmosphere of, oh, I'm anxious to get out of here. Or I'm not really paying attention to what's going on. I got better things to think about, better things to do. But to not just be listening with my ears, but to be giving my full attention with my body. Yes. That could come down to anything, just, you know, any of those things that would distract people from being relational. Listen actively. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to the person who's speaking. Let them finish. Don't interrupt them. Seek to understand them rather than thinking about what you're going to say next. I feel like we've gotten really close to covering them all. Have we missed any? Pretty yes. good. Okay. Fight one more? For, you have one more? Do you want to do it? Fight for relationships. That's right. That's yes. how we say That's it in my group. One. I don't know don't how y'all say it in your group. Thank you. Uh, but we say fight for the relationships or we will resolve conflict biblically. Um, so basically, if you have an issue or a challenge with someone in your group, go and talk to them. They're not going to bite you or anything like that. Go and talk to them and share what's going on. If you guys can't resolve it, go to your group member and be like, hey, I need you to come and help me resolve this conflict. This is not ganging up on people. This is seeking to fight for relationships. And hopefully, like usually it ends there. But if it doesn't, then it goes before the church. But typically, going to talk to someone, and then if it doesn't get resolved, bring in the group member. Yeah, and in our small groups, to be clear for all of us, you go to that person one-to-one, -one, and if they hear you, you've gained your brother, you've gained your sister, you know, problem resolved. If they haven't heard you and you're just still struggling, the next person to get is your group leader. They're the more mature disciple that you can invite into that situation, and they can help 
be someone who helps resolve the conflict biblically. Have we covered them all now? All right. Well, with these guidelines in mind, uh, Bennett, would you pray for us? And then we're going to jump into some of our group time here. Absolutely. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come here and worship you and, and set an example of how you discipled. I ask, Lord, that you use us and use the word to speak through us to, to your people and let the Holy Spirit move us, Lord. Help it to guide us in our thoughts and our actions that, again, we may glorify you in the process. I ask, Lord, that, that our church, that our church can fulfill your mission to create a relational environment that we can love one another, learn everything there is to know about each other, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you for setting us up for the perfect opportunity to go and make disciples. I ask that you continue that, continue to work in us to talk to one another, to love on one another, and to share your word with the world. But all this we ask not, 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 not by our will, but by your will only, and in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, we start group with a little vision casting. So churches start small groups for a lot of different reasons. Um, what are some of the reasons that churches small, start small groups that aren't our purpose for this group? Service. Yeah, you can start a group to serve and get involved in the community. We're going to do that, but that's not the purpose of our group. Fellowship. Yeah, fellowship is another. Share relationships with each other. We're going to do that. That's not the purpose of our group. Prayer. Bible study. Go ahead. Sorry, you go ahead. Prayer. Prayer is another one, and we pray at our group gatherings, but we are not a prayer group. That is not the focus of our group. Bible study. We put the Bible front and center of nearly every meeting that we have as a small group, but we are not a Bible study group. That's not the purpose of our group. What is the purpose of our group? Make disciples. We're a disciple-making group. Absolutely. That is the purpose of our group. We're creating a relational environment where disciples are made. There you go. That's what we're doing as a small group, creating a relational environment where disciples of Jesus are made. So that's what we'll aim at right, right now. And that leads us into our hook question. Can you tell me, tell us about a real-life relationship God has used to change your life? I got one. Can I go first? Go for it. Go first. I'm, I'm actually going to point out Britt over here because, honestly, if it wasn't for a real-life relationship with this man, this beautiful, wonderful man over here, there would not be – my life would be exactly where it was before. Mm-hmm. And what I, mean, what I mean by that is my Sunday morning, going to church, smiling pretty, the, like you mentioned earlier, hi, how are you? I'm doing great. It's been an awesome week. And just leaving it at that, you know, going to grab a lunch, going home, take a nap, you know. Mm. Uh, but because of the relationship Britt has formed with me through a massive amount of texts, asking me how I'm doing, you know, how, how I am emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of that was key to develop on our relationship. And honestly, it's 100% transparency. If you want to know anything about Bennett, anything at all, you could probably ask Britt, and he could probably tell you, to be honest with you, because I don't think there's a thing I haven't shared with him. That's a great one. 
Well, in my group, you know, Sandra and I saw the need for these kind of groups out of our devastation when we both lost our spouses. Mm. And we were just grieving so hard and not really feeling like we had a place uh, as leaders in the church where we could be open and transparent about our pain. Mm. And so being a part of our group has given us that place uh, that we've been experiencing that now for a number of years, and they've experienced it with us. Yeah. And so that's been incredible. And it's life-changing because we learn from each other. You know, uh, the Holy Spirit lives in everyone else, not just me. And so I learn from all of them. We learn from all of them as we share our sufferings together, our burdens together, and we center on the Word of God. Mm. Amen. Mm. Wow. Maybe two more. Um, the Warner family, just pretty much every single one of them, if you like pointed them out, I could probably say, yeah, yeah, all of them. But if we're being specific, um, after I graduated high school, Brandon and Rachel Warner, they let me live at their house for about two and a half, two years, something like that. And I was already a Christian, already following Jesus, but there's a lot of key character areas that they just were very intentional to help me develop and help me work on. And that meant a lot of, uh, Rachel calls them, courageous conversations, <laughs> <laughs> courageous conversations. And the word I would use to de describe them honestly is just intentional because nothing slipped through the cracks. And even though it was really hard and really frustrating, um, and half the time it was like, Brandon, just tell me what to do right. Just tell me what to do right. I don't want to hear that you're disappointed. It was just really, really helpful for my character and for help for me just growing in Jesus and for me um, choosing to surrender to God's will over my life, over my own pride and self-centeredness. Thanks for being awesome. Mm. We love you. Maybe one more. Well, for me, I would say Pastor Jerry. We, we first got acquainted about 50 years ago, and uh, that was to, in high school playing basketball against each other. Uh, so we were kind of adversaries at that point. But over the years, um, Jerry has not only been my pastor, but he's been an encourager, he's been a leader to me, but most of, most of all, he's been a friend. Um, and there's been many times where he has admonished me, rebuked me, but also loved on me. You know, we've cried together, we've laughed together. And so when we talk about a small group, you're living life together, that's really true with Jerry and Sandra. They're like family to me. Uh, and. I could say that about all of our small group members, but especially with Jerry, because we go back so many years. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, mine is has a, a little bit of a different characteristic than what you guys shared. I, I lived in bondage to sin, a secret sin in my life. And when I was 27, I got transparent. And the first person I was transparent with was Pastor Jerry. And he helped me through that initially, but then he quickly led me to be transparent with other men. And I've been transparent with guys in my group, and you know, now Jeremy's one of those, and Caleb and Chad and so many others. And through those relationships, not only has God set me free from ongoing sin, but he's helped me become like Jesus, and I've become a disciple maker through those relationships. And so I give the glory to God and the credit to these guys that God has put, placed around me to help me in that. Well, what we're going to do from this point forward is we're going to move into our time of story. And if you haven't been in group before, this is how this works. Doug's going to read the background to our Bible story. And then when he's finished reading the background, 
uh, Chelsea's going to tell the story, and then we're going to rebuild that story, this team right here, from memory, and then we're going to read it from God's Word to make sure we got it straight, and then we'll close by just discussing four questions about the story. So that's how we're going to close out this time here. So uh, with that, Doug, would you jump in? Jesus is the master disciple maker, and he is our primary example for how to make disciples. At the start of his ministry, Jesus invited 12 men into a close-knit relationship with him. Jesus was very intentional with this small group of people, and together they created a relational environment where they shared life, love, and lessons. Jesus' lessons were commonly in the form of stories. Sometimes Jesus would tell stories to his disciples in private. Other times he would tell stories in public. On more than one occasion, disciples heard Jesus share a story in public, and later they asked him to explain it to them in private. Jesus and his disciples shared the kind of relationship where they could all ask and answer questions. In fact, there are 25 questions recorded in the Gospels that the disciples asked Jesus, and there are 22 questions recorded that Jesus asked his disciples. Stories and questions were part of the relational environment they shared. One day, Jesus told the crowds a story about a sower who went out to scatter some seed. Some of the seed fell along the path, and the birds ate it. Some fell on rocky ground. Those sprang up, but quickly faded because their roots had no depth. Some fell among thorns. They grew a little bit, but were choked out by the weeds. Others fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. Jesus did not explain his story to the crowds, but simply said, he who has ears, let him hear. Later, the disciples met alone with Jesus. They asked him about the stories he was telling. Jesus was very transparent with his disciples. The disciples' question led to further discussion on the story about the sower and the seeds, and this is where the story begins. So as he said, Jesus was telling a story. And that's not something uncommon. I mean, we still use stories to tell lessons. My children love to listen to Adventures in Odyssey. It's a great way for them to have lessons through story. But sometimes, Stories can be a little bit confusing. <laughs> and thank goodness for the small group Jesus had with his disciples where we can take a peek into their transparency and see the explanation to the story. And that's where we begin in this scripture. And Jesus is telling his disciples, listen. He's getting their attention. Wants their focus. He says, here is what the story of the farmer means. And spoiler alert, it's not about farming, which is really good news for me because I can't even keep a succulent alive. So, and it is not about farming. So what is it about? Well, there were four types of soil and the seed was scattered over all the soil. And Jesus goes on to tell his disciples that the seed represents the good news, the story of the kingdom of heaven, and the blessings that are there, the gospel as we call it, and that this good news, the story of the kingdom, landed on many different types of soil. The first soil it landed on was the path. A path, when you walk down it, you don't usually sink into it. It's kind of a little bit of a harder ground. 
And so the seed that fell on the path is like the story of the kingdom of heaven falling on hard hearts, hard ears, just like the ground was hard. And because it is hard, it just cannot do anything. It just sits there on top of it. Now, even I know with my lack of gardening that if I just put seeds on top of hard soil, nothing's going to happen. And that's exactly what Jesus was referring to here. To here. If it lands on hardened hearts, there is no understanding of the message that's being presented. So like the birds come and eat the seeds, the evil one, the enemy, Satan, comes and is able to quickly pluck out that message out of our hearts, out of our minds, and we continue along as if it had never been there. Another type of soil that it could land on is rocky soil. This one's a little more promising, moving in the right direction. This time, the rocky soil represents someone where they hear the word and they are excited to receive this. This dirt was happy to have a seed in it and it starts to germinate, starts to grow, just like someone who hears the message, takes it into their heart and starts to grow in the word of the Lord. But then, as we all know, I've experienced troubles and suffering in my life, and I'm sure you have as well. And when the trouble and the suffering comes, it takes this little seed that was in the rocky soil, and because it didn't have the right conditions to grow deep taproots and anchor into the soil, the troubles and the worries easily wash it away. And that is like someone who hears the word, but then they just kind of get drowned out with all the troubles and the worries of the world and they just lose focus on putting their roots down deep in the kingdom and in the message that Jesus has. So they easily wash away and turn away from the gospel. The third type of soil was a thorny ground that the seed fell on. Now this is also a good start but doesn't yield very good fruit. The thorny ground represents those people who hear the good news, they take it in, they may even develop a root system and start to grow, but if you've ever seen a plant growing amid a bunch of thorn bushes, it can only go so far. Likewise, those who are like the thorny ground and hear the good news and the gospel message, it can't go very far. You get tangled out, you get crowded out, you get stabbed, you get poked by the thorns, which are just troubles, being worried down by the world, false promises of wealth, distractions from every corner. So you cannot focus on growing up, growing out, and being fruitful. Instead, you're focused on, how am I going to survive this? How am I going to do this? What about this? And like the seed that fell on the thorny ground, the word was in, the word started to go deep, but then it's getting choked out. The fourth type of soil that Jesus mentions the seed falling on is fertile soil. Now, I know that's good soil. I don't know how to make fertile soil, but I know it's good soil. And the fertile soil represents those who have the right conditions. Their hearts aren't hard like the path. They're not easily blown away by the troubles of the world like the rocky soil. They're not distracted and letting other things hold them back from their full potential and growth in Jesus like the thorny soil, but the fertile soil, they take it in. They soak in the seed. 
they soak in the word of the Lord. They can't get enough. They just keep growing deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, searching in the scriptures, growing in God's word. And in doing so, they continue to bloom and grow and blossom, and they share it with others and with others and with others. They go on to make disciples who make more disciples who make more disciples 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold until it just continues to multiply. Different types of soil, same seed, different results each time. Thank you, Chelsea. All right, what we want to do is build the story as simply as we can from God's word. And so uh, I appreciate what you shared. Let's read it from God's word and get the basic structure, and then we're going to rebuild it from memory, okay? So... Uh, where can we find it in God's word, Chelsea? Matthew 23. Uh, I'm Oops, sorry, sorry, Matthew 13, verses 18 through 23. Okay. What I'd like to do is just have one person read a verse and then the next person read a verse and we'll, we'll get this story in our head. Okay, I'll, I'll start it with verse 18. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is, this is what was along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to, oh, lost my place, refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling away, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. All right, let's rebuild this from memory the best we can, just the parts that are in God's word. Well, the sower began to sow seed. The first place was by the road, and it says that birds came and snatched it away. Okay. It says that the, uh, the birds represent the evil one mm-hmm. who's snatching away the good news from people's hearts. Yes. What's the next part? Then the seed that fell on the rocky soil. Yeah. And what happened there? It could not take root. It couldn't take root. It couldn't grow up. What was the third? The, th- the thorny soil. Okay. So like the seed grew up, but it got choked out by all the thorns. By all the thorns. The thorns yeah. are the cares and the worries of this world. The cares and worries of the world. Mm-hmm. And then we had one more. Then at the fourth the soil. Good soil. The good soil. Yeah. What happened when the seed fell on that soil? Took root and it and it thrived and it produced its own fruit. Yeah. How much? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> times, 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 yeah. times. Some thirty, <laughs> some sixty, some, some hundred. Yeah. Yes. Okay, and that's the story from God's word. All right. So with that story in our hearts, we're gonna close this time by discussing the story. First, what stands out to you the most from this story and why? Part at the end when it says that 
the seed on the fertile ground, it yields, you know, what is it, 60 and 30 and 100 times. I just think that's beautiful. Like, it started off this little bit, and it's not even, it's not even addition or multiplication. This is compound interest. <laughs> All the soil got the seed. Mm-hmm. It was the same seed for every soil. They all had equal opportunity. What stands out to me in this is uh, the fact that the way Jesus described the rocky soil, I mean the, the soil by the way, was they receive the seed but they don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And that really, I like that, but I also don't like it. I don't like it because there's been times in my own life where I thought I was seeking understanding and I wasn't getting what I was seeking Mm. as far as understanding the Word of God or the will of God in my life. Mm. And for me, that can be really, really frustrating, Mm. you know. And I go, yeah, I must be the wrong soil here because I'm not Mm. getting this, you know, the way I need to get it. Mm. For me, I like the rocky ground because (laughs) all too often I've been that way in my life, you know, like Jerry was saying with the, with the pathway. But for me, it's like, oh yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Let me share it. Let me share it. Let me share it. And the next day it's like, oh, you know what? I don't feel like it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to do my own thing, my own addictions and my faults and my own sin. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's where it ends me. We're going to ask the second question. What does this story tell us about people? And remember, you're a person, Hmm. so use an I statement as you answer this question. I have the ability and power to bear fruit, and how much fruit I bear depends on what God's plan for me is and Hmm. maybe how he's gifted me opportunities I have. But every, every soil, the good soil, did bear fruit just in different measure so I can do the same tells me I think I can be uh, like really sincere like I can think I'm the good soil and and really start off you know like all right this love this this is the word of God gonna apply this to my life and but I can be a person that allows the worries and things of this world persecution other things to deter me Mm. as a as a human being Mm. and that's definitely something I need to be aware of about myself. Yeah. I can really relate to the disciples in this story. Their need to get with Jesus and find out what he meant. Mm. And I can, I mean, I feel that all the time in various, I mean, even yesterday I was experiencing some conflict and I had some things going on that I was trying to sort out in my head. And I remember stopping in the car uh, after dropping the kids off and just sitting in the car yesterday and I was I was stressed out and I just got with Jesus and I needed to hear what he was saying but I didn't stop there I ended up talking to Rachel and to Pastor Jerry and just talking about some of the things I was going through needing a place to share and someone to to speak to me because I know Jesus is in you and I know Jesus is in Rachel and we'll keep doing that in the small group I know Jesus is in my small group members and Jesus is in me I need to hear from Jesus and 
I can relate to the disciples that way. If, if I don't, I'm no good. It gets bad in my thought life if I don't have that place. Absolutely. I know I have to be really intentional to tend to my own soil because I know myself and I know the contents of my heart and I know that it can be easy for me to fall into pride. It can be easy for me to fall into mm. self-centeredness because I'm a firstborn. Any firstborns out there? Yeah. I like to do things my own way. I like to figure out ways to make things work because, you know, I like to be in charge. Uh, <laughs> So I have to be very intentional to tend to my own soil. And even this last uh, two weeks with teacher uh, training in PDs, there's things that I was like, I'm going to do this in my classroom because it's going to be really great. And I've really been um, studying really hard on things that I want to change so I can do better. But I had some people from our training saying, oh, no, you need to do this because this is going to work better. And, you're, and it just really hit me. And it's like, oh, man, I feel like you're knocking on my ideas and I'm not good mm -hmm. enough now. So I, have to be, I had to be really intentional to just like, nope, we're going to remove this rock of self-centeredness. We're going to remove this rock of pride and just be willing to have humility and receive whatever I need to receive. Yeah, that's really good, Marissa. Well, the next question we have is, what does this story teach us about God? And remember that Jesus is God. What I love about this is... God wants everyone. Mm -hmm. He doesn't just scatter his good news here and there, a few places. He gives all, and he's ready for all to come. God doesn't put limits on what we can do. I might have a harder path to walk. I might have soil that has more weeds and thorns and needs tended more. But God's still going to cause that seed to grow. Mm. Mm. He will always do his part. It's mm. good. That is good. I would say that God is the one that prepares the heart, the soil, to be able to receive the word and to be good soil. Mm. Mm. That's his job. Mm. Mm. I think about how patient God is. I mean... I mean, he knows the condition of everybody's hearts. You know, he knew the condition of all his disciples' hearts. But he would go ahead and share with them the truth, knowing that with some of them, like Judas Iscariot, you know, it wasn't going to take root. Right. How much patience does that take, you know, in order to do that? And yeah. I'm grateful that he is so patient with me, uh, not, not figuring out things as fast as I probably should because there's something wrong in my heart yeah that needs to be addressed or taken care of mm -hmm. that's interesting i love that um i actually want to add to it too because i love to garden right and i love working the soil and i remember as a child we had this this patch of soil that just was not growing anything no matter how many seeds or whatever we did so i remember my father went out we took I don't even know, gallons or buckets and buckets of pig manure. And we spread it all over that soil. We worked it for, I want to say, two years with nothing growing in it, just leaving it without seed, working it and working it, preparing the soil to receive the seed. And what eventually happened, it grew. Stuff grew exceptionally well. You know, so not just because... And this is coming from the sower's point of view. Just because I'm throwing out seed and it's not landing on good soil doesn't mean I personally or God with God, excuse me, let me rephrase that. I personally, with the help of God, 
can't help condition that individual mm-hmm. to receive the seed that he's going to sow for me. Yeah, good. Well, uh, in group, we'd be even slower, but I'm going to move us to the last question and just uh, share as transparently as you can. What is God saying through you, to you through this story? What's the big takeaway that God has for you today? What I hear the Spirit speaking to me is, watch out for those thorn bushes. Hmm. It seems like it's always back to school time of year where I let the troubles and the worries of the world and all the distractions come in and steal my quiet time, steal my joy through it, and steal my growth in him. And I need to watch out for the worries of the world. And make sure that my soil is staying fertile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me, I've I've been a Christian since I was 13 years old. So I'm going to be 25 this year. And there's a lot of my family members that I've been praying for for about 12 years. And it's really hard whenever I feel like I'm rocky soil or I'm thorny soil and my family sees that. Mm -hmm. But I know, like, I was really encouraged by what you said, Bennett, about, like, we're going to work on that soil. We're going to keep using it. The sower is not going to give up on that. Yeah. And so, like, I know that just because because in my unfaithfulness, my family may see that and be like, hmm. God's not going to be unfaithful to me because it says that even when I'm not faithful, he remains faithful because, well, he can't not be who he is. Mm. And even in where he's working on me, my family can see that and will see that. And they're going to be encouraged by that and be like, okay, Mm. she's still working. She's still growing. God's still going to work and God's going to move. And I don't have to be ashamed or frustrated with myself whenever I, whenever I fall short. Yeah. Well, it's the word of the Lord that produces the harvest, mm-hmm. ultimately. That's right. You know, my responsibility is to cooperate with the Lord and being the good soil. But, you know, it's that the word of the Lord that brings the harvest. And so as I've entered into a new stage of my life, uh, leaving the role of senior pastor, not having, you know, some of the same opportunities and sowing the word as I used to, I need to trust that as whatever the Lord gives me to do, he's going to produce a harvest Yeah. yeah. as I cooperate with mm-hmm. him. And so that's what he's saying to me. Mm-hmm. Sow the seed. Sow yeah. the seed. Yeah. When you shared, Pastor Jerry, about Jesus and what he's like and how patient he is yeah. with you, <laughs> I hadn't even thought about this from this story, but for me personally, um, I am not always patient like that with other people. I can think of ways in my own home right now when I'm not patient like Jesus is. Um, With people I work with, um, people in my group, people in ministry in our church, that my initial thought is not a thought that Jesus would have, not like him. And God's really, uh, I feel his conviction as soon as you said that. I need his help. Mm-hmm. I need his help to, uh, to be patient like he's patient. And even when someone else doesn't treat me the right way, their soil's not right, um, to love them like he loves me when mm-hmm. my soil's not That's right. right. And, and to be patient with him. So 
yeah, grateful for the Lord and his voice, what he just shared with me. Call it irony, but I'm not going to. I'm going to call it divine intervention because I was feeling similar. Uh, just because that's what God's telling me to do mm-hmm. almost every day, but especially after, after this little story this morning is I just need to be patient and let sometimes rather than just try to run the boat myself, let God take that helm. And, and, I, and I say that because a lot of times I want to steal it and try to, try to run the show myself. You know, like, well, this is, this is what Jesus says. But the patience part is so pivotal mm. to, for not only building relationships, uh, not only getting to know someone closer, but for bringing people to Christ. And I, I hear you guys and I feel you guys. And it, it, I just love it because what was on my mind, you're both talking about. And that's, that's how this works. And that's what I love about this. Small group is amazing that way. Hmm. Just digs deep and pulls it out. <laughs> Pastor Jerry, would you close to pray? I'm ready to close. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we just really thank you for your word. Thank you for sowing the seed. Mm. Lord, thank you for sowing the seed in us. And thank you for the understanding that we do have. And Lord, I just cry out that we would have even greater understanding. Lord, that you would show us, each Mm. and every one of us, anything in our hearts, Lord, that's really hindering us from being that good soil, that we might produce a harvest, Lord, for your kingdom, and for your glory, Lord. So, Lord, do your work as a gardener in each one of us. Lord, cultivate us. Lord, make us like you. Mm. Lord, thank you for all that we've gained from each other through this gathering this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you help me thank this team for their time this morning? All right, you guys are dismissed, and... um, For us out here, we're going to close our service today actually with a little bit of group discussion. And, you know, I would encourage you from whatever you heard this morning that the Lord was speaking to you personally to press into that for the last 10 minutes of your group discussion. And so if you're a small group leader, would you stand at this time and just come and stand around the edge of the auditorium? If you're a small group leader and Jeremy and Kim, if you'd stand in for me for our group right over here. Now, here's your challenge. Some of you aren't in a group. I would encourage you just wherever you have relationship this morning. If you're here with somebody who is in a group, go with them. If you met one of these group leaders during breakfast, go with them. But here's your challenge. The mission God has given us is to create relational environments where disciples of Jesus are made. You witnessed this morning what that looks like in our small group to the best of our ability in this environment but it's just a taste and i want to encourage you there's nothing like you getting involved in it and starting to be transparent and god moving your heart personally so let that start this morning and then join a group this week and go be a part of a relational environment play your part on that team where disciples of jesus are made so you will be dismissed from your group meeting when you're done meeting with your group 
uh, leader, then you are dismissed from the bash this morning. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of this bash. If you would now just stand at this time and go with your group leader to close out with 10 minutes of discussion. Group leaders, you can meet in here or you can go back to the other building and finish around the table.